I no nope don't 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 follow me don't look me up even if you did you'd never find him <laughs> let me kick it back let me let me kick it back let me kick it back let me let me kick it back let me kick it back let me let me kick it back hey boy right there what you gonna do if they gonna do you like that i'm a wild boy and i need to be arrested don't catch cases i just catch blessings we all right, welcome to episode 49 of Fair the Burn. Uh, I'm here with FUD, and FUD, say what's up. Hello. Yeah, it's Slave, that's right. He listens to everything that I say. Uh, I'm here with, uh, with a number one man who has helped me in my life, someone who has always told me, Dreams be dreams. All right, I didn't hit that exactly how <laughs> no. I wanted to, but that's great. <laughs> Uh, someone who has, who has certainly helped my dreams, uh, not just be dreams and come to reality. Someone who I met my freshman year of college, um, someone who I consider a brother and, uh, a role model and a mentor figure in a lot of ways. Please help me, uh, welcome Tanner Morton. Tanner. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> he enters. Majestically. My brother, how's it going? Living the dream, <laughs> having a beer, experiencing my first podcast live, I guess. Hanging with the boys, man. Hanging with the boys. I don't get to do this anymore, you know? Yeah. Tanner, why don't you get to do this anymore? Uh, well, I'm busy. I, uh, Being a grown Family up. man, a grad student. Um I, I I make time to to spend time with friends, but uh, it's not very often that I get to get out and just hang out and you know have a beer, hang out with the guys. And uh, I've been trying to do really this with you for months now, dude, for months. Yeah. Uh, and there was that one moment when you were like, "Hey, man, this is my last time in rehearsal. Like, I, I, we can go." And I was like, "I'm just going to bed." And it was yeah, like the yeah. one time in like <laughs> five months that I was like, "The Tanners was free tonight." <laughs> the wife was out of town, uh, and and the kid with her, so. Uh, yeah, I uh, I remember a lot of um, Jedi Fallen Order uh, during that week. <laughs> PlayStation Five was my friend that week. <laughs> That's who you were putting to bed. Uh, yeah, Tanner. So I just uh, first of all, man, thank you for making time for me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, we're all enjoying some brewskis and just chilling. You are a respectable person, and I'll just say that off rip. Uh, this is not a respectable platform, so we are going to do our best to keep you uh, in a respectable and not deplorable <laughs> light. Um, Tanner, can you tell me why do you love Pocatello? I know why me, myself, Chandler loves Pocatello. I know a little bit about why Dave loves Pocatello. Can you tell me you're from Pocatello, correct? I am, yeah. Um, and you love this city. Is that is that I accurate? Do. I do, yeah. And a lot of people from this city hate on this city. Oh, yeah. Um, why do you love this city? Um, you know, growing up here, I, I think that uh, having lived elsewhere, one thing that I notice about Pocatello and that I love about Pocatello is the the emphasis on family values in our community and, and this idea, right, that like, yeah, I, I know being outside of the LDS faith, uh, the conversations that surround it, but uh, just the idea of uh, being willing to help one another out and the idea that, uh, you know, I can I could smile and wave hello to someone in the grocery store walking around and I'm not going to get, you know, someone rolling their eyes or someone ignoring me or something like that. I uh, I like the feeling of, of community here. Um, 
I really, really love living in a college town. I think my favorite part of Pocatello is the the college culture. And, and it's interesting because being a, a theater student, uh, I lived up at the Performing Arts Center. I never got myself to lower campus. Uh, very rarely did I get to lower campus. Uh, and coming back as a grad student, being on lower campus with my office there, I'm finding um, how cool uh, ISU is uh, and how involved they are with the community and the relationships that ISU has with the community. And I think that it's really cool to have um, young people here in Pocatello. Um, it adds to, you know, we when I was an undergrad anyway, we had quite a bit of diversity here for Idaho. Uh, a lot of, unfortunately, of those international programs have been uh, or partnerships rather have been done away with or, or they're less so particularly now after COVID. Uh, but yeah, so I just really like, uh, like the feel, like the community love being able to go see a, a football game, a basketball game, uh, the arts in Pocatello wild. It's, it's incredible. Surprising. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. incredible. Yeah. Uh, we have in Pocatello Chubbuck, we have multiple community theaters that just do such good stuff and such different, uh, stuff. And, you know, I like everything, you know, obviously there's hit and miss shows. I've been in some of the misses. <laughs> uh, but, we all have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I, I love the arts. I love the, the kind of community feel. It's a place where I feel safe raising my daughter. Uh, and I feel that, that she's safe and, safe and loved in this community. Um, and, and a lot of it is the people that I have, right? The, the community that I have within Pocatello as well. So Right. Yeah, I mean, can you talk a little bit about, like, family? Um, because I, I've always been really impressed with your family. Uh, I, I'm, from a, I'm from a broken family, right, since I was six. Uh, and you talk about, like, family being a big thing in Pocatello. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to you lived in Portland for a little bit. I did, uh, yeah. Which you would say that family is probably less of a thing there comparatively. Uh, I, I would say, yeah, there's a, a lot more, you know individualistic ideals and, and stuff like that. And I lived, I worked in downtown Portland. I lived kind of on the outskirts of Portland uh, and um, made some really, really great friends. But uh, it's, you know, uh, th there are many reasons I think that it's not particularly the safest place to, to raise a kid. And um, there were things that I loved about it, but we were definitely, it was, um, it was an interesting and happy coincidence when we moved back here. We didn't know Emma was pregnant when we moved back to Pocatello, when we found out, a couple weeks after we got back. Uh, and it just seemed like it was, it was the right time for that to happen in the right place for that to happen. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like why you think family is so important though? And like, is, mm -hmm. is the uh, deterioration of kind of some of those family values and like uh, uh, more individualistic rise of individual, individualistic values in bigger cities kind of uh, it, do you think that has anything to do with kind of the political um, imbalance and kind of uh, what is the opposite word of homeostasis like friction hmm. that we find today do you think that family has anything to do with that yeah so uh, within political science there's a lot of uh, sociological research right on um, on the way that you uh, build your ideology or the way that you view the world based on how you're socialized for your family uh, I am an only child, uh, and my parents, uh, you know, I consider my dad, my best friend, my mom and I butted heads a lot when we were young, when I was younger, because she, uh, and I are so much alike, uh, mm -hmm. but they, um, 
they were really uh, fantastic uh, parents to have and that they supported me. And um, there was a lot of, a lot of love and a lot of responsibility put onto me and a lot of expectation of like, we trust you, right. To, to do well. Uh, and I think that um, as time has progressed, we found through this kind of socialization, this political socialization that uh, generations now are, are less likely, right. To want to be like their parents, uh, very typical, right? When we build our our worldviews, and 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 not just politically, but when we view like how we view the world and how we grow up and how we want to live our lives, generally speaking, it's a mirror of like, okay, what was my family situation like? What were my parents like? What what were are the values that they imparted onto me? Um, and I think now that there's uh, there's more pushback on on not wanting to be like that, and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think that having access to information is, is great and huge. Uh, unfortunately, right. Like the access to information that we have nowadays comes mostly information is coming to, to younger generations through social media. Um, and it's really easy to get misinformation, disinformation out and about. And so, uh, I think having, having that family unit and, and it can be chosen family. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be your, you know, blood, uh, but I think it's really important to be able to have have those serious conversations and to have kind of that tribe, right, like that community where you can build um, your worldview and bounce ideas. And, and, you know, I always want my daughter to know that she has freedom within our home to, to make mistakes and to ask questions. And uh, I want her to be able to choose things for herself. But I also want her to know where her mother and I stand on on issues and what we think is, is right, uh, you know, and what isn't, because I think that, uh, that that's important for her to have that kind of role model. And if she ends up disagreeing with us, then, you know, we want to leave that space for her to, um, question us, uh, but be able to come to us with those questions and be able to kind of work through it in a safe. What's funny about that family though, is that I got the only, I feel comfortable saying this. I got the only two, um sane siblings out of both of my parents uh the other ones uh love my aunts and uncles but they do be wild yeah. <laughs> in, in different ways <laughs> but, we're gonna keep that in uh, tanner's aunts and, aunts and uncles are fucking crazy you uh you talked about coming to pocatello with your um and finding out you're pregnant mm. and being grateful for that do you think that pocatello is not a dangerous place is it Okay, this is a multi-part question. Is it not a dangerous place? Is it more or less dangerous from when you were here before going to Portland, like undergrad and through mm. throughout your childhood? I don't... Um, as far as, like, crime rate and stuff like that go, I don't perceive a huge difference, right, uh, in safety. I will say... Um, it's world's different, right? Because I moved, uh, I moved towards the end of 2016, early 2017, and... Uh, the political climate in the world uh, changed in the country, <laughs> changed yeah. significantly. Uh, and so I will say that um, my family has a privilege of being, you know, markedly white <laughs> and, uh, and stuff like that. And so I don't, I don't perceive danger that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks uh, could, uh, but I, I will say that, uh, we're living in times in Pocatello that are a lot more turbulent than than I had expected, and it's not it's not all love. There's there's definitely um, 
hate is alive in Pocatello. Uh, For sure. And and I feel like there's parts of that that um, I hate to to have bleed over into Kennedy's life. That stuff that I didn't really have to to have to deal with. Uh, but but there are things that are going to be inevitable, right? Wherever in the country we are, right? Uh, and particularly where uh, Kennedy's mother and myself have um, studied political science, both of our, you know, Emma Emma has a bachelor's degree in political science. She's looking more uh, international, and my my minor is in political science, and so now I have a master's degree in political science uh, that I'm wrapping up and moving on with my doctorate. And so I will say that we're we're kind of more attuned to that than some people who choose not to be, um, but. But I will say, yeah, I, uh, as, far as, as far as safety goes, I feel good about Kennedy being safe in the community. Yeah, I was going to say um, that's the big thing. Like, you don't yeah. feel like you have to worry about doing stuff with your kid. or No, you know, I think the world is not as safe as it was when we were kids. You know, I sure, remember that, sure. you know, the, the classic old man trope, like the, the, light, the street lights coming on at night were my, yeah. my cue to get yeah. home or whatever. But, but it really was the way it was, right? Like, I, I grew up on a cul-de-sac. I had really great friends um, who, one who lived directly behind us, one who lived a few doors down on the cul-de-sac, uh, and and we all would just kind of hang out. We would be outside, we would be in each other's backyards or in each other's homes, and there's just never really any worry. I'd get up, walk out my door, and not come home until the evening, and very rarely is it a matter of like, oh, check on where the kid is. It's like, right. he's at one of these houses. He's yeah, fine, he's yeah. doing something. Yeah. You were, as they call, a latchkey kid yeah. as a kid. You would you, a latchkey would you um, let your daughter do that same sort of scenario? Or would it depend very much on, like, if you were in exactly like a cul-de-sac type situation where you knew your neighbors, like... Yeah, I I think it would very much have to be that same situation, right? Where I knew I knew my my neighbors, I knew exactly kind of the route she was taking, where she was going. Uh, but I I am a lot more careful, you know. I think we have to be a lot more careful in today's age. Um, yeah. And so, well, because um, uh, that that cul-de-sac life is a very specific life. My stepmom lived in a cul-de-sac, and so when mm-hmm. we go visit her, I was same thing. We're all just in each other's houses and backyards because I don't right. I don't know. There's many things that put you closer as neighbors than living in a cul-de-sac together. No, no, yeah, and. It's it's a really cool, uh, really cool. You know, I mentioned earlier community. It's a really cool community to have. You know, I consider those people my family, uh, and uh, I I would love for Kennedy to be in a situation like that. Uh, in today's age, you know, we are more worried about our kids, and I think that you know Emma grew up uh, in a very similar experience. In she grew up in the South, and uh, I don't know that it was a cul-de-sac experience, but it was very much like she and her sister would, would be out running around and having fun and stuff like that, too. And so I think that, you know, Emma Emma wants to live in a Hallmark movie. Like She, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wants to move somewhere to a Hallmark town and have Kennedy running around. And, like, she she wants life to be a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Is she from Oregon? Um, Emma's not. She uh, So she uh, kind of moved around. I think she was born. I'm sorry, Emma, if I get this wrong. I think she was born in <laughs> South Carolina and moved very shortly, very shortly after to Virginia okay. and grew up in Virginia. And, um, she moved here when she was in elementary school. Her mom married her stepdad and moved here, uh, here being, uh, Caldwell. Okay. Uh, and so she grew up in Caldwell for the most part and went to Caldwell uh, for school and worked in Caldwell at the, the YMCA as a lifeguard. So yeah, she grew um, up in the fields then. Like yeah, if she was yeah. in Caldwell during that time, cause there was like nothing out there. It was a lot of open field. Right. And she was in kind of one of the new developments where literally nothing behind them. There, right. there, there weren't more houses behind them. So she was very much that way in Virginia growing up. Um, and then 
I'm sure it translated over here. Her, uh, yeah, Emma's mom is just so wonderful uh, and such a fantastic mom and very much uh, encourages, you know, playtime outside. And like she, she bought Kennedy a water table where it has a bunch of little cool features that we fill it up with a hose. And she's very much a get outside, play around, get dirty in the mud, like have fun, be a kid kind of, kind of parent. Uh, and it very much is translated over to Emma. It's really, it's really neat. Yeah, that's amazing because you don't see that at all today. I mean, today's society is completely flipping to uh, kids staying inside, and things are looking like what's that? What's that book? Fahrenheit four fifty one, four fifty four. 458. 451. 451. <laughs> <laughs> I was like just throwing out 450 until I got it right. Uh, 420. Uh, 420, yeah. Why, uh, wait, hold on. Why does it look like that book? Because they're surrounded by screens. Like in that book, like people like walk in, like they burn all the books and like like they walk into like big emporiums and everything is like surrounded by screens. Mm. So when you go into our, even our house here, screen, screen, you know, there's a screen yeah, on your phone, there's yeah, a screen yeah. on Tanner's phone. So... My sister has two kids, uh, a little older than Kennedy. Obviously, Kennedy is a baby. I just met her yesterday. She's adorable. Um, but my niece and my nephew are, my nephew's like 13, 14. My niece is like 8, 9. Uh, and my nephew is addicted to the internet. Oh, my God. It's so bad. My question is, how are you and Emma going about raising your daughter in this world that is less of what your what her mom is teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And like, how are you guys like planning on going about dealing with technology while raising a or having a, a family? Yeah, we uh, there. There's been a lot of a lot of conversation amongst us and amongst our our parents. And um, one one cool thing that Emma's family did that translated over to us is. Um, both Emma's mother and father chose godparents uh, separately, right? And so they knew where Emma would go if, God forbid, something were to happen to them. But she had godparents on her mother's side and godparents on her on her father's side. Oh, wow. Uh, and the godfather that I've chosen for my daughter is very much a uh, no screens. Like, if I'm and Kennedy, it's going to be puzzles and coloring yeah. books and, <laughs> and shit like that. Uh, and we don't we don't quite lean that far right. Like... Uh, I think that there's some some really cool media out there and some really cool animated movies right out there and so uh she she gets uh movie time and we will uh Alexa is her best friend uh she'll listen <laughs> to song after song and very much a musical kid and likes to dance and sing and have fun doing that kind of stuff uh as far as movies go uh she she does get screen time it's just a matter of like ensuring that that the screens aren't raising her, so to speak, right? Like right. we don't incentivize like, oh, you're being bad. Let's put a screen in front of you so you stop yelling or screaming or, uh, you know, being a two year old <laughs> using it um, as a pacifier, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And so we we very much are like we have screen time, and it's not it's not necessarily dictated like oh from this hour to this hour on these days of screen time. It's just uh. You know, we'll wake up in the morning and, and sometimes turn on a movie for her, or we will wind down in the evening and have something. Um, Emma and I like to like to watch television, and we'll have the screen on. So, so we definitely have that. We just make sure that there's a lot of playtime, and she has uh, a lot of bigger toys in the house that have like she she has a a table in the house that opens up and has all kinds of cool interactive toys. Uh, Emma's uh, best friend, Hannah, who was uh, the maid of honor in our wedding, um, 
she is an occupational therapist. Okay. Uh, and she gives Kennedy the most awesome gifts all the time. All of these interactive things that are designed for Kennedy to, for her age group, right? To develop fine motor skills and uh, critical thinking skills and working things out. And so Kennedy, Kennedy has a really cool base of uh, friends and family who get her everything she could want. And so she, uh, she has a lot of fun doing things other than screens, but we definitely don't keep them from her either. I mean, the other day uh, she was uh, video calling with, with her aunt Maggie and somehow managed to pull up Disney Plus on Emma's phone, pull up a movie and screen share the movie with Maggie. Holy cow. They were watching a movie together. Your uh, daughter was able to do this? My two-year-old daughter did this. And we have no... We don't know how to do it. Dude, we're I doomed. don't know how to do it. We're dead. Yeah, we're so doomed. I don't, dude. I don't even know how to do that. Yeah, we don't... Emma and I have no idea. And we couldn't get the damn thing to turn off either. Like, we were like, what is... How? She somehow, like, locked the screen or something. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we watched uh, most of Moana, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> Because our two-year-old is a genius and um, outsmarted us. That's crazy. That's (laughs) wild. So I guess that begs the question, are you going to try to push her into uh, theater or into coding? Um, Mm, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, Emma Emma was um, very into uh, swimming uh, when she was was a youth. Uh, She was on a bunch of swim teams and she was looking at swimming collegiately, got her her senior year. Um, and didn't end up doing that, but, um, so we started Kennedy swimming pretty young, uh, and that, that's something that we could see her doing. I think based on how much she loves to dance and sing and move around, I think theater is something that we'll, we'll try her on, let her, let her give it a try, but I'm very much aware that theater is my passion and my self-care, uh, and I would love to get Kennedy involved in that, but I also know that, you know, I, I can't force that on her if that's not something she wants to do, but, like, People ask me all the time, what's your dream role in theater? And my my dream role, honestly, I would love for Kennedy to play Peter Pan and me play Captain Hook. <laughs> like that would be that would be the acting dream. That's fire. <laughs> uh and and I have I have those kind of uh, you know, goals for us if if Kennedy were to get into it. I'd love for her to play like Annie and me play Warbucks or whatever. Right. Uh I just think it'd be so fun to act with my daughter and to share that. But Definitely something I don't want to want to force on her, but right. it's something that we'll try down the line and see what she thinks. Yeah. Um. When when did you get involved in theater, Tanner? Um. I was about eight or nine. Um. There was a a theater company coming through, and um. They were doing the Nutcracker, but it was a play version of the Nutcracker, and it was a dumpster fire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a out in Chubbuck. There's this old. I think it's like a Taekwondo studio is the most recent thing it was, but it was an old warehouse. It's green. It's very notable as you're driving through Chubbuck. And uh, we would go there to rehearse and they had like nine or 10 space heaters in this room. Like the place could have gone up in flames any moment. Uh, And we would gather there and we had like, 75% 75% of the cast drop out through the process and recast people. I got cast in one like minor role and ended up playing five or six roles. My first play ever. Nice. Uh, and we, we performed it on the Frasier stage, uh, Frasier wow. hall. Wow. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I kind of got, kind of got hooked there. And then, um, I had been playing uh, little league baseball at the time. And my best, my best friend on that little league team, uh, did shows out at, what is now the Palace Theater? It was a Mystique Theater. Yeah, uh, and he was doing uh, auditioning for uh, Peter Pan, 
Um, and I, I went out there to audition to, to hang out with him. And that was really, that was my first musical and my first big role. I played John, uh, who's Wendy's brother with the top hat and the umbrella. Uh, and that was, that was my first really big, uh, introduction to like an organized, uh, good theater experience. Yeah. Not an absolute dumpster fire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So got started that way and, um, found I loved it. Uh, all of my friends on that cul-de-sac played soccer. I uh, never really got into it. I played some basketball, did some some little league baseball, but uh, about the time all of my buddies and I got out of eighth grade, and all of my friends from the basketball team hit the weight room and started, you know, getting ready for JV basketball and uh, you know freshman team basketball. I started steering more towards the theater room and uh, just stopped playing, you know, and and really focused on theater. And it's it's just a form of self care for me. It's always been. Never, never something I want to do with my life um, professionally. It's always been something that's just how I take care of myself, how I uh, keep my mind right, and um, just really enjoy the process and the script analysis and the character building. Um, I don't even know that the performing is is something that I would say is in my top ten favorite things about theater. Wow! Did yeah. you ever have a point where you were like, I could be an actor, or has it always been? Yeah, it's kind of just. Yeah, we, we uh, you know, I talked about it with Emma and it was like, this is something that we could do. You know, part of it has been that I've never been, I was behind the curve, right? So I, I did my bachelor's in, in theater at ISU with you, with you guys. And uh, I, um, there are people there who knew that theater is what they wanted to do with their lives. And they busted their asses to make sure that they would position themselves well. And I never really applied myself in that way because it was never something I knew I wanted to do professionally. Right. I, at the time, had wanted to go into counseling, right? So I, I was looking at the um, marriage and family counseling program at ISU. They said I could get my undergrad in anything I wanted. And um, I got scouted out of Century High School by one of the theater professors. Came, saw the show, offered me a scholarship. And uh, I started to do that. But but because I wasn't ever, it wasn't my intention, I wasn't applying myself by the time I really got to thinking about doing the thing and, and trying to be an actor, uh, I had already let a lot of opportunities slip past me that way. Uh, and, and I found when I moved to, to Portland, um, I did I did act and get paid to act a couple of times, but it was directing um, that I really fell into there and directing, which I was terrible at in the theater department, <laughs> but it was directing that I found that I loved and I was working as a... I was the interim artistic director of sorts for a youth theater out there, uh, directed a few shows for them and directed at a few of the community theaters um, and was really, really enjoying myself on top of acting, uh, being able to do the directing portion of things. And that's translated since I moved back here to Pocatello. I've, uh, I've joined the, the board of Westside Players um, here in Pocatello, that community theater, and I've gotten to direct a show for them. Uh, and we'll be directing another one coming up this summer. So that's something that I've really found I have a passion for and something that maybe I have more of an act for now. Did you know about the ISU theater department in high school? Like, were you um, aware? I was, yeah, yeah. I knew about it. Um, were you like, oh my God, this is so good. That's how I was, dude. The first, Because I'm telling you, I came drink waiting for Godot, man. That's the first thing I saw at ISU, man. And show. I remember where I was. I can tell you seeing Tanner on that stage taking <laughs> off that boot, man. And I was like, I got to come here, dude. These people know what's good. And like, I came during, uh, 
All-State Choir during that, and that's around the time they're doing Guys and Dolls. Oh, okay. In the Vice Line. I didn't come for rehearsal. Uh, I didn't see the rehearsal or, like, the show or anything, but I remember just, like, seeing the stage mm. when they were putting it up and, like, like the Hollywood, like, not Hollywood, but, like, the New York, like, Broadway signs, bam, bam, bam. Uh, and I think I saw Jack Johnson. I think I remember seeing Jack, like, walk in, and I was like, that guy looks like an antelope. Um, <laughs> all, <laughs> all love the Jack Johnson. He's an angel. Uh, he's an angel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, so the, the, the building is relatively new, right? And it was there. The Performing Arts Center is, is nationally ranked as one of the, the most beautiful performing arts centers in the country. Uh, and, um, I knew the facilities were incredible, but I came into the theater department during, um, a pretty significant shift in the theater department. My first year was, uh, also the first year of our, uh, the head of the acting department, Vanessa Ballum. Uh, and, and her husband, Stefan Espinosa, coming in. Um, and so there was a lot of shift happening, a lot of change happening. Uh, and it was a much smaller, much smaller program. Uh, and so I knew about the department. I hadn't seen a lot of shows. I, th- I think the one that I saw, I went with my English class or one of the acting classes at um, Century, and we went and saw Into the Woods. Uh, and uh, I, I remember... I remember going and enjoying it and seeing it, but not being like completely enamored in the way that you're describing. I think that um, what really ended up happening is I knew I wanted to be a counselor. I knew I wanted to go that way. They said I could have an undergrad. And um, when I, so I was the the president of the theater club at Century High School um, and we would do the one act competition at ISU. Uh, and that's where I auditioned for my first scholarship. Mm. And um, they had recognized me. Uh, my senior year, I got the opportunity to play a lead in a production of The Government Inspector uh, at Century. And uh, Norm Schroeder came and saw that. And he's the one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're telling me Norm Schroeder recognized you from a high school play he saw you in? He, he came to the high school play to see me in the play. Uh, and told me he wanted me to come to ISU. That, that dude has had my back from day one. Like, I love Norm. Let me tell you something. I saw this guy a week ago, and he did not know who I was. <laughs> That's fucking illegal. <laughs> it was wild, dude. He was like, I know you. It's like, yeah, David. He's like, oh, we've met before. And it was like, Norm, this was John Proctor. He's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's okay. Can we direct that show? Yeah. He he was the only actual uh, staff, like, faculty member director that I worked with besides Vanessa in my final year. But he was the only one okay. that ever actually cast me. Thanks, Norm. I was also going to ask, uh, is Norm your is Norm Kennedy's godfather as well? Uh, that's the <laughs> question that I had earlier. The godfather. <laughs> He's no, like, Norm she'll be the... reading Shakespeare and doing puzzles and <laughs> hanging out with me. That sounds about right. No, uh, Kennedy's godfather is actually my friend that I met uh, the only summer I ever did summer stock theater. Uh, after my freshman year at ISU, um, during my freshman year, I auditioned for the Playmill Theater in West Yellowstone, Montana. Yeah. Uh, had the opportunity to go there, and I met my one of my very best friends, uh, Scott. Uh, and uh, Scott is who he, who he asked to be her, her godfather. So I call him the Scott father. The uh, Scott father. And that's, that's what amazing. she refers to him as. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tanner, you have been in the ISU theater department since 2011. Is this true? Um, 2012. 2012. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was your first show there? 
Uh, so I, I, I will give the caveat. I left for three years. So I, I started in 2012 and went through 16 and was gone. To the spring of 2017. Did you leave okay. fall of 2016 or, or spring of 2017? Um, it might have been. It you, was were there for, you were there for much ado. Yeah. So you left in the spring. I left in the spring. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I was gone there. Um, and then I came back just in time for COVID to hit in full force and close down Bright Star. Yeah. Sad. Uh, my yeah. very first show. Hell yeah, Bright Star. Um, was a Norm show. And it was uh, called Night of the Burning Pestle. Uh, and it was all about a syphilated penis. Oh my God. <laughs> it was. Uh... No, 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 no. We're going <laughs> to. Oh my God! <laughs> Say that again. Syphilated <laughs> penis. Oh uh, no! It dude. was a uh, it was a show um, that uh, I I can't for the life of me remember. It was one of our like old timey shows, like the Shakespeare Ben Johnsony oh, kind of yeah. shows. Can't remember who it was, uh, but all of it was like this giant like analogy metaphor towards. <laughs> it was all dick jokes. It was a it was a show full of dick jokes, and and you could imagine who. <laughs> That sounds like a Norm show. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first show. I'm uh, so sorry, Dan. <laughs> at ISU. My, I love Norm, dude. And my second show at ISU was a lot more mainstream. It was Odd Couple. <laughs> yeah, I was actually wanting to ask about that. Uh, so Miss Julie wasn't your first show then. I thought Miss Julie was in that first season that you were there. Oh, you know, it was. It was amongst those. So I, I did um, Night of the Burning Pestle. I did Miss Julie and I did Odd Couple that, that year. And... Uh, I think probably Miss Julie came before Odd Couple. Yeah. So you came out like a like a little superstar. Yeah. Well, this as guy's I said, got a scholarship, fancy guy. <laughs> as I said, it was a much smaller department. Uh, One thing that was interesting though was it was all dudes. It was a uh, yeah. It was a lot of a lot of guys in that department and very very um, talented, mm-hmm. good good people and. One of my favorite um, moments of that freshman year was doing Odd Couple with uh, I had Jonathan Zamora and Jesse Arnold and Stephen Moldenhauer and Daniel Sheldon and Adam Grebus. Uh, and uh, we had uh, Emily Rankin and Emily or Hannah Rankin and Emily Kwame in it as well. Uh, but it was a norm show. And for some of these rehearsals, it was literally have a poker night yeah. in the black box theater. And I I bonded with those guys, and we just had an incredible time making jokes and uh, hanging out with one another. And uh, it really brought me into the the theater department in full force, and I just had such an incredible time doing that. Those are the shows that I'm most interested in asking you about uh, mm-hmm. from all the shows that you've been in, because you know I've, I was in uh, much ado with you later later on, and you. We're obviously in stuff from 2012 until 2016, but the ones that have always really intrigued me from pictures and from stories and things like that were Odd Couple and Miss Julie. Um, didn't you guys, wasn't your green show for Odd Couple literally to play poker, but like before, like as people were walking in? Yeah, yeah. So we started the quote unquote poker night uh, about two minutes before house opened and folks would come into the house uh, and sit down and we would just be ad libbing playing poker uh and having fun eating eating food and uh they set it in the 70s and it was a sunken living room set um and it was just the coolest set comfortable couches uh it was you know oscar's bachelor pad and uh this is such an incredible time uh yeah we it, it was it was just so much fun and it was uh one of those shows that i learned a lot because i was able to look at all of these guys who are a little bit older a little more experienced than me and uh 
it was when I I discovered that I didn't have to play over the top all the time to to kind of get my point across or to prove myself as a great actor, right? Like I just had to live truthfully and So you're are you after Moldenhauer and Daniel and Adam? Are you like post all those guys? Uh they were so they, they were all in the department when I came in. Uh they're all a year or two older than me or three. Wow. You know. Um and so yeah, when I came in, um I knew Daniel from when we were kids. We uh we knew each other through church things uh and uh camp stuff so i knew him coming into it uh adam grebus and i went to uh century high school together so i i knew some of those people coming in steven moldenhauer uh i met through really when we became closest through miss julie mm-hmm. um he uh he and i got talking quite a bit and uh really really hit it off that way and so uh met all of those guys through that uh john and sierra uh john zamora and sierra ramos were in the theater department uh, at that point as well. And they ended up being some of my best friends. Uh, I lived with John for a year uh, and effectively with Sierra because she was over <laughs> all the time. And so uh, they, they ended up being probably um, ended up being some of my best friends I made through the department for sure. Steven Moldenhauer seems like he belongs at a poker night. Like I always think great. of that. Like I think like if I was to invite someone to a poker night, to come smoke cigars and get fucked up. Mm-hmm. I'd probably invite Stephen Moldenhauer. He was uh he was our lead in Night of the Burning Pestle. Uh he played the <laughs> the civilian. <laughs> and uh get it, Steven. Dude legit uh they were like, "So we want you to be an older kind of balding citizen for this." He went, "No problem." He shaved a fucking bald spot right in the middle of his head and wore it for months. <laughs> Everybody born you can kiss my whole asshole. That's amazing. That's I always want to do that. They asked me to do that when I had fill in. Uh, Lauren left uh, Much Ado like a little bit before it opened, it opened, and they asked me to play the the monk and <laughs> the fill friar. in for the priest, the friar. Yeah. Uh, and I was only on for a scene, but like they were wearing me wear that. They were making me wear that stupid bald cap, dude. And I don't care about calling it stupid, bro, because I hated it. But in the pictures, like. You could clearly tell that it was like this bald cap that just sat on my head with like a different color than the rest of my hair is like in front of my eyes and stuff. And uh, I was like, just let me shave my head. But they were like, but you have a summer stock gig. And I was like, okay, I'll check with them. And I checked my summer stock gig and they were like, please don't shave your head. <laughs> but that's gangster that Stephen actually got to do that. Yeah, he was he was leading that one and did great. And um, I was in um, the next year. uh Daniel Sheldon played quite a few leads while I was there. Adam Grebus played uh, a lead in... Uh, they, they were both leads in uh, the Philadelphia story. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. I, I um, There's no two ways about it for me. Whenever anybody asks me in all of these years watching uh, the theater department grow and stuff like that, people ask me who's the best actor that's come through ISU. And tell me why it's Jack Johnson. Adam Grievous. Oh, that's we were talking about Grievous yeah, too. Adam, but he yeah. did he didn't get a lot he didn't do a ton because he was studying education, right? Yeah, he was doing education stuff. He did uh he he played a number of different roles. His his big one was um oh uh he was Oscar Wilde. Uh was Gross and Decency. Gross and Decency, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it blew my mind. That dude is so talented. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and he worked really hard. Um and and no disrespect to anyone else, but but for sure, for topping sure. topping that is hard. And we've had we've had a few a few women come through the department who've just been incredible to you. But I mean, but when you're when you're mind. built like 
like a, like a little bit smaller Jason Momoa, and you can play Puck. You know, because I've heard legendary things about his Puck. And he was too. like a uh, hipster Puck. Like he was. Oh <laughs> yes, dude. Yeah, yeah, and he was he was just phenomenal. And um, my favorite person to watch on stage. Uh, and we've we've had so many great great people come through. And the department just keeps getting better and better. But that's, where do I rank on that, Tanner? Oh, I'm just yeah, you're, you're on the list. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You're, yeah oh, yeah. yeah. You you're, betcha. You're, you're on definitely sure. on the list. Yeah. Leave, you're, it, leave it to Beaver over here. Yeah. You're about top oh, yeah. five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Top so five worst. When did you become the father of the department? <laughs> right? Because I don't. it wasn't immediately when I was there, but there was a point where I was just like, T-Money's just like department dad. <laughs> I don't know when it. I don't know when it really happened. I think that. At some point, there there was a, just some point where um, most of the older guard before me, right, had moved on and graduated, moved off. And um, I had all these youngsters hanging out. And, and it was really about the time that shit started hitting the fan with your guys' class. Uh, <laughs> a bunch and, of fucking drama. And a bunch please. of drama started happening. And uh, I just happened to be someone stable i guess that, that people would come and talk to and and i think part of it was that i just didn't have i didn't have vested interest enough to take sides in yes in any kind of a yes dispute. i was gonna say that's why i trusted you yeah. it didn't feel like you had an agenda it feels right. like you actually were just kind of looking at character people and being oh that was probably a bad thing to do and oh that was probably well, a good thing to do and i just cared about the department right like at that point it was just like i i just want to get things set straight so that we can keep making art and yeah. keep getting people out of the department uh, successfully. Right. And so, um, I just became kind of a, a mediator. You know, I had that, that place where people could come and hang out and, uh, you know, people felt, felt safe over my place. And so it was really interesting though, because I'd be on, I'd be on both sides of a lot of, uh, conflict going on. And, uh, and, you know, it was pretty transparent. Everybody knew that I was talking to one another, but and I don't know how successful I ever was at mediating anything, making anything better, but I just was more or less a sounding board at some point. Uh, and, and I think it was just because I, I cared about the department and I didn't, um, I was far enough past the drama. I wasn't so tied in with all the drama and everything going on that I could kind of look with an outside perspective and just kind of give honest feedback. And like you said, I wasn't afraid to, to call people out either yeah. uh, if, if I thought that they were being shitty, yeah. <laughs> you know? The thing that I would describe it as, man, is a friend. Is I, I hear I hear uh, you say like a that? like a soundboard and stuff, and I definitely I know what you mean by that. But like the thing that you show me throughout my life, Tanner, is like how to be a friend to somebody, like seriously. Um, yeah, of course, man. I mean, like because you you've never picked sides as long as I knew you, and I've known you since you were grown. We talked about this the other night in the theater. You've seen me grow up. I have never, I've never seen young Tanner, man. Like I've only seen Tanner post trauma, dude. We're like going show, yeah. through trauma to become the man that he is today. Um, so that's the thing that I've always appreciated. And or even out in Seattle with, you know, when you lent me 120 ish bucks or whatever I needed just to get me home and to get me through, uh, some of the stuff that I'm going through right now, you know, you've, you've never been someone who's shied away from uncomfortable conversations but never shied away from 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 loving people as well. So I think that, that for me, I would just describe it as a friend. Uh, do you think that your faith has anything to do with that as well? Yeah, I um, 
my t- my time in Portland, um, I, I spent it as a youth pastor, director of children, youth, and family ministry at a downtown uh, church in uh, Portland. And I, um, I've been very adamant my whole life. You know, I've been a dedicated Methodist my whole life. My family, my parents raised me in the Methodist church, and I've been involved. Most of my adult jobs have come through the Methodist church, working in camp and retreat ministries and working as a youth pastor, as I said. Uh, and, um, I've never been about, um, making people perfect Methodists or bringing them into the church per se, but it's all about, um, it's all about showing respect. And for me, for me, you know, it's about, um, knowing that I have, um, I've been gifted a lot of things in this world and I, you know, I, I genuinely do feel that, that God has looked out for me. Uh, things have just fallen into place for me when there is no reason for them to. Uh, and I feel like it's my, my responsibility to kind of put that forward into the world, uh, and kind of be that for someone else who needs it. Right. And so, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm not opposed to having those conversations. I want to bring people into, to, you know, having a relationship with Jesus. And, but, but for me, um, that's what it was about as a youth pastor, right? When I interviewed for them, I told them, if you want a youth pastor, who's going to make perfect little Methodist out of these kids. I'm not the person, but if you want someone who's going to, um, promote, um, personal relationships with Christ and, and I don't care what it looks like, right? Like I just wanted them to have, a personal relationship with Christ. And I wanted them to grow in, uh, realize that, you know, humanity is interdependent. We, we need each other. We need a community. Um, and, and it's a lot better when we have, when we have that community. Um, and so for me, it was just kind of those ideals of like, if you want me to, to make perfect Methodists out of these kids, I'm not going to do that. But if you want me to try and help them to know what it's like to be, you know, a good person and to have, values that are compatible with Christian life, then, then I would like to inspire that in folks. And that's, and that's all that I try to do in my life. Right. And I definitely make mistakes and I definitely get angry and, um, lash out. And I've said, I've said the wrong thing a time or two <laughs> and, uh, who hasn't, haven't been perfect, but, uh, I have always tried to lead with, with love first and, and just kind of compassion and knowing that I'm, you know, I'm incredibly, um, grateful for, for the gifts that I've had. Uh, and, and the circumstances I've been given. And if I could help other people with those circumstances, uh, you know, like you, you were making every effort to get your life right, to get home, to, to get working and stuff like that. And I saw that, you know, I, I knew I wasn't throwing money at you to go party in Seattle or whatever it is you were going to do. I knew I was giving you money so that you could get gas, right? You could write the ship, so to speak. And so, uh, it was important to me that that I look out for my friends in that way. And, you know, that's always been um, something that Emma and I have talked about early on and something that she experiences is that, you know, the phone's always on. Uh, if if my friends need me, it doesn't matter what time, it doesn't matter when, I'm I'm happy to help out where I can. Um, because I know by and large that people would do that for me if I needed it. And it means a lot to me. Yeah. yeah. I, it's also goes to show that you just... Uh... A lot of times that you'll get what you res- what you put out too. Mm. That if you put out love and kindness and respect, you know, a lot of times we'll find people who are willing to to give that back. Did you have something? Sorry, I thought you heard to breathe. Uh, Tanner, you. this is uh, this is the last serious question I have, and then we're gonna play a fun little game. 
I don't know if we caught this on mic before the audio cut out near the beginning of this, but we were talking about some of the hate uh, that is prevalent in Pocatello right now. Mm. Not necessarily, I don't want to say prevalent, but it's definitely um, present, right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. it's there. Um, Do you see any of that hate? Are you moving real quick, Dave? Can you grab a like a pencil when you're out there? Find like a pencil or a pen, possibly some sort of writing utensil. Uh, you talked. We talked about hate in Pocatello, and you know it's a. This is a community that both you and I care deeply about. Um, do you see that difference and the division and the hate coming from people who might share similar beliefs as us? Um, as far as uh, religious christian do you think that it's derived from that or i don't i okay. um i'm i'm fairly adamant and in public about this uh i don't want to say we're national... doing this i don't want to say that yeah, we're no. doing this sorry but right just make that clear but but on the national stage right like you see christianity get a bad rap and the idea of like you know one of the one of the biggest commandments we have right like one of the biggest rules that we have is you know that they the Bible says don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh and and that doesn't mean don't say oh my god. That means don't do shitty things in the name of God. Absolutely. Uh and that is not Christianity. When yeah. when people do that, it is not Christianity. And we see it on the national scale. We see it here. We have people playing morality politics and and I I'm, I'm willing to be open about that. You know, we have what we have right now is a movement to prop up one individual and try and give them power. All this person has ever done is lose. Uh, and they will continue losing because they're putting hate first and, and the movements that they're trying to make and the things they're trying to do, you know, and I'll, and I'll be specific, you know, the trying to get library bans going, right? Like trying to, um, say that public school, uh, is indoctrination, trying to, um, you know, come in and, and disrupt reading time with the Queens, uh, at the library. That's not, that's not Christianity at work. That is people being hateful and being closed-minded. And uh, I think that there are a lot of things that can be done. And I think that everybody, you know, one of the beautiful things about America is that we, we have the right to have our own opinions and to voice them. Uh, but but we need to be clear about what those intentions are. Uh, and and I, I just think that uh, very thinly veiled, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. attempts to, to grab power into do things frankly that they wouldn't have the power to do even if they were, you know, in power. Even if you are the mayor of Pocatello or an Idaho state senator, you can't do the things you're talking about. Um, and and it's just asinine to to reach out. And, you know, I learn in political science, uh, one of my main fields of study has been um, behavioralism. And it's a kind of this fusion of sociology and psychology and political science. Uh, and what I've learned psychologically proven, right, is that fear is one of the greatest motivators uh, in human beings. Fear is a visceral emotion. And um, if you can get people afraid, uh, they will do heinous things. Mm. Uh, and um, that that's all it is. That's all the hate is in Pocatello is fear mongering. Especially just... like when a group is afraid. Mm-hmm, like, cause mm-hmm. then you get like group thinking that fear. And I feel like that's just escalates. Right. Right. And you see no substance, right? So you'll see people try and run for office or try and kind of disrupt city council meetings. And they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll come with their little pet issue or their pet project. And, uh, 
you know, we, we see it on, on city councils and on boards and running for mayor. And it's like, okay, when you fix this one thing about mask mandates, right, with COVID, what are you going to do with the other four years of your tenure? What are you going to do with the other, you know, like, <laughs> you don't want to govern, you want to talk. Uh, and I'm, I'm just not here for it. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. You know, and I'm, I'm willing to be transparent about that. I, I'm very much believe that, that um, in order to properly motivate people, you know, fear is, is one of those things that motivates people in a really bad way. Uh, but, you know, as cheesy as it is, there's also hope. And there's also um, giving people a reason to look forward. And, and there's just common sense, right? Like, in order to have Pocatello be a thriving community, you have to invest in that community. Um, Absolutely. And um, I'll give you a perfect example as we wrap up. Uh, there was recently a special election for a school levy. Uh, for school district 25 and this was millions millions of dollars that was going to go towards uh, our public education and that's physical plant upkeep that's uh, money that goes into teacher negotiations we have a huge teacher shortage right now Uh, I mean this money uh, very clear with where it was going to go and it was a levy that was set up forever ago and it gets voted on um, every now and then to uh, reintroduce this money right well you have uh, you know some hateful people in the community for a lot of local school districts, uh, the money for school comes from property taxes. And someone had the audacity to get on the School District 25 Facebook page and say, hey, vote no on this levy and you can save one to $300 on your property taxes this year. Like, vote no so we can save 100 bucks. Uh, and I'm like, oh, so you want to trash public education for, and even if you don't have a kid, right, in, in the school district, you know someone who has a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, or at least it's the youth of your community. Right. And, and yeah. the people who will, you know, ideally we want people to stay in Pocatello and to be our future leaders in Pocatello, right? Yeah. And so if you're not willing to invest a hundred bucks a year uh, for school education, like, what are you doing? Uh, you need to realign these values. Yeah, it's a hundred bucks for the future of children. Right. Like, how can it not get more honorable or noble than that? Right. And it's just one of those things. And it, it will always, um, always bother me, always rub me the wrong way as we, we get into these situations where, you know, believe what you want. Um, politically, I'm very much for, you know, the, uh, robust spectrum of of uh political beliefs and i i think it's important to have uh open conversation uh but as as conservative fiscally as you might want to be federally when you get down to the local level those kind of elections uh you're you're directly impacting your community and you're directly impacting the ability your community has to to do things and uh you know uh i i just say it's a good thing it's a special election, right? Where the people that show up, you know, are going to be the people who are invested. They, they were people who work for the school district. They were people who have kids who are in the school district. And those are the people who show up and vote. And you know that's true because um, there were between 8,500 and 9,000 folks who voted in that special election. Pocatello Chubbuck School District. Pocatello and Chubbuck combined have about 80,000. Um, <sighs> population-wise, we had 8,000 show up to vote. Um, and, like, and it's a special election. Changed. It was yeah. the only thing on the ballot. People didn't know about it. But the question becomes, right, if you move that onto a November election cycle, if you move that into when people are voting for the president, will our schools ever get funded? 
you know, mm-hmm. that people know what's going on and they have the opportunity to vote no for that to save a hundred bucks on their property taxes. Tanner, I hear you. I got to piss so bad. I'll be right back. I'm All so right. sorry. <laughs> so sorry. You guys can you good there, bro? How bad is it? It's not that bad. It's like, uh... <laughs> I, tr- I thought I got it all the way over. Is this still recording? That's good. <laughs> <laughs> We're having so much technical difficulties. Jan's uh... struggling today, bro. You yeah. should be so bad, dude. I was getting over that fence. We caught it on camera. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we have a camera going. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me adjust here. A man destroyed me. <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. Can you still hear me? I can, yeah. <laughs> that took my life. Um, That's really nice to actually, like, y- it's interesting to hear somebody uh, bring up points about, like, local election. Because I've always known, like, local election, if you're going to vote, is probably more important than, like, other, you know, kind of bigger presidential and shit like that. Right. Um, but nobody has really, I felt like, ever explained it in a way that I was like, oh, that absolutely fucking, you know, 100% makes sense. And I guess I appreciate how you're describing it because for sure it makes sense of just like – and then and I find it very fascinating you say the people that show up are those people that are directly invested. It's not boneheads like me that are just kind of like here for now and then like, oh, goodbye. Well, and it makes me wonder, right, where um... – you don't have anybody in the school district, right? So you, you no. wouldn't have gotten communicated with from the school district. Right. Uh, and so I can't blame you for not knowing that it was happening. The question becomes, do the folks who are invested intentionally keep it quiet, right? And have these special elections so that we have a favorable vote. And is that ethical, right? Because at the end of the day, I say, right, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it and say... The general population of Pocatello, the information was available, but did they know? Were they aware? My own father didn't. I told him about it, and he went and voted, but he said it wouldn't have been on his radar, you know, otherwise. And he's politically engaged. Right. Um, That's crazy. Is that that unethical, right? So, I guess, how, like, how available was the information, if that makes sense? Exactly, right. And, and, And that's where, that's where you have to start to wonder, right? Because, on one hand... If it's not available, you have the folks who are invested who are showing up and voting, and you're going to get a favorable outcome for, you know, whoever it is that's messaging. And in, you know, in fairness, those those groups that are being hateful could have latched onto something like this. I think, generally speaking, they're not going to go oppose something like this. Um, right. However, if this does blow up, and the people who are invested do make this a huge citywide issue the chances skyrocket, right, that they're going to vote no on this and that right. our public schools will be shafted. So it's just a matter of, <laughs> you know, like where where do the ethics come into this and like what, what does that look like and should we have the knowledge or the information rather more readily available or uh, is that just screwing us over in well, the future? <laughs> it's also interesting too because if the, the information being more readily available is important, but it's also like where do you – 
put that information you know what i mean because at this point with social media and everything like the market for information is so saturated how do you get people to pay attention directly to this thing uh well in social media right now you know there there are studies done especially on facebook you're living in an echo chamber right so you're generally speaking you're getting you're seeing posts outside of your personal even within your personal friend group you're seeing posts that you interact with in a positive way so you're seeing people who reflect your opinions more often than you're seeing people who oppose your opinions. Um, and so for people who are invested in this, who are sharing the information with their network, whose newsfeed is it popping up on? It's popping up on people who are likely to vote in a similar way, right? Rather than right. someone who's going to oppose it. And for me, this is one of those circumstances where it works out happily, right? Like I, I will tell you, I happily marched on down to my precinct. I, I had to go to three different precincts because uh, they hid mine very well. Um, but I, I finally got to my voting place and I, I happily voted yes. Right. Like I, I want to invest in, in school district 25 education. Um, and if this information is out there, right, if this comes along during a general election, if it comes along during a presidential primary, if it comes along when we're voting for governor, whatever that looks like, I'm scared that we vote it down. Is that, is that democracy? Sure. Uh, but if you can't trust people to, you know, if you can't trust people to invest in their community, like these are political games that are played, right? Well, and I mean, if you are to a certain sense trying to game the system by not necessarily making the information all the way out there and just being like, oh, it was out there, but only to like, you know, those certain groups, like that isn't really democracy to a certain extent, right. is it? Like that right. sort of like kind of messed up game. Well, I don't know if Tanner said this, but like, like you're saying on like Facebook, like ads and stuff, you can literally target specific people. Right. Like people, like like when I do ads, it says, uh, "Do you want to target specific people?" Yes. Okay. What do you want them to be interested in? So you like literally ask you like so you can go like horseback riding, and then motherfuckers who are like are on horseback riding groups on Just Facebook get a will bunch like of horse get girls my ads. Showing yeah. Up. Oh yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. It's it's really interesting to to look in, you know. And I'm not giving obviously. I'm not like advocating one way or the other i'm just saying that it's a it's a conversation worth having right and it's a conversation that that should be had because you know uh as much as i might not want to agree with voting no on this particular school board levy or or rather the school district levy is it important that people know that the election is happening is it important that people be able in a democracy right to uh, to voice that opinion uh, and and those are questions that that are worth asking, um, regardless of how you feel about what the outcome would be there. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah man, don't just be these assholes out here that are just your milkshake. I drink it up. That's what people do, man. They want to take away all the all the education for funding for schools and paying for teachers and everything like that, and they just suck it up for a hundred dollars a month. Uh. Sweet man. So, <laughs> so uh, that one was a stretch. Uh, I, <laughs> think, a stretch. I think it worked great. I think it was actually my best one uh, at the end of the night. And you know what, Dave? Don't let your dreams be dreams. That's what I have to say to you. Uh, Tanner, <clears throat> can you do me a favor real quick? Can you uh, double hit that so that it restarts the thing so we can fully video this? Do you know what I mean? No. Uh, can you stop the recording? on the camera and then restart it. It's pretty easy. It's just the button on the right. Um, I just want to make sure that we get this next segment filmed. It should only take about 20 minutes. If you have the yeah. time, it's 10. I'm going to go piss first. Yeah, go do that. Yeah. Cause we all don't fall as the youth say these days. 
Go piss girl. Go piss girl. Yeah, go piss girl. Don't fall on your way out, bitch. David, do you want another beer? Let me see it. Let me see, let me see, let me see. The podcast and all podcasts. Not so. Sorry, son. I'll get you. Bam. And let me see if it's nice. Yeah. We're going to do a little tournament of fools. So we're here with Chandler. Hi, I'm here. This is his birthday. This is the be- this is behind the scenes. Fair the burn. It's my birthday. That's right. They this can't hear. Boy. Everyone who's listening to this is gonna be like, "What the fuck is going on?" That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Dave's pointing the camera at me. Um. Yeah, man, we're just chilling. Honestly, um, that's. I mean, that was a great. Great hour that we had with T-Money. I feel like we got a lot of his personal things out there. Exposed him for the great guy that he is. And for being a part of Mason, right? And for... I'm not going to say that on Mike. <laughs> uh, do you want another beer, though? I didn't... Uh, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Still got to drive home. Yeah. Don't drink and drive, kids. That is... An important lesson that I feel like I can, I, I am here to tell everybody. You made sure that you are, uh, you made sure that yourself got into the shot. Yeah. It doesn't matter about that. You're fucking ugly anyway. Yeah. I'm pretty ugly. Super ugly. Fugly. They might say. Your ugliness literally kills people. Um, yeah, that's my primary way of murder. All right, I'm feeling a little litty. Bing bong. You know what time it is. It's Las Vegas, baby. All right, you know what time it is. Tanner, thank you for being here. We are going to do one more segment, and then we're going to let you go. This segment, Tanner, is called Tournament of Fools. Here's how it's going to go. I'm going to introduce it and say welcome to Tournament of Fools. You are going to sing the theme song. Okay. Okay. That's great. Uh, and then we're going to get into it. I'm going to tell you what the tournament is and what's happening. Okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, Here we go. That's the spirit. Here we go. Here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> and now welcome to the tournament of fools. Bum. Bum. It's a tournament of fools with Tanner Morton. I like it. All right, Tanner. Here is the tournament. Right. Tournament of fools. Your edition is going to be which of these eight great LA Rams players, <laughs> since you are a political science major, would make the best statesmen. All right. All okay. Right, I'm here for it. All right. Here are your eight players, and I'll read them from eight to one, so you know. Uh, I want to point out, I sent these to my brother-in-law, who is the only other Rams fan that I know, to rank them. <laughs> he didn't get back to me, so I ranked them myself <laughs> in the kitchen just now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, number eight is Steven Jackson. Okay, mm. let me know if you want to say anything about any of these people, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. that guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seven is Tory Holt. <laughs> okay, okay. Number six is Aaron Donald. Okay. Number five is Cooper Cup. Good. Number four is uh, Kurt Warner. Okay. Number three is Night Train Lane. <laughs> you know much about Night Train Lane? 
A little bit, a little bit. David knows a little bit of my night train. <laughs> yeah, night train nine. Number two is Cooper Cup, and number one is Marshall Folk. Do you have Cooper Cup on there twice? No. He's an important guy, Dave. <laughs> Didn't you, you said his name twice. Oh, I did say his name twice. Um, <laughs> number two will be... Technical difficulties. Orlando Pace. <laughs> you know Orlando Pace? I do. Uh, we, ha- we haven't talked about the, uh, the best Ram, which is uh, Jerome Bettis. Um, we'll put Jerome Bettis instead of Orlando Pace. Um, <laughs> Jerome Bettis. Many would say he was a stealer. He was a Ram first. He um, was in his rookie year, right? He got drafted from the, yeah, to the Rams? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So here are your matchups, Tanner, and okay. you let me know which of these you would vote for in a mayor or governor, or whatever oh, statesman. Right, right. Um, if I disagree, we will have David, the man who knows nothing about football, yeah. be our tiebreaker. Your first matchup mm-hmm. is Marshall Folk versus Steven Jackson. All right, all right. Um, Battle of the backs. In the vein of, uh, so we, we recently had a, um, an election, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, where we had Dr. Oz uh, yep. <laughs> running in, oh man, who was the, who was the football player? Uh, was he running against a football player? He was. Oh my golly. I need my, I need my Google man. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, who is uh, Herschel Oz? Walker, Herschel Walker. Oh, he's running against Herschel Walker. He ran against Walker. Herschel Walker. They paraded Herschel Walker around. As the next great senator of Pennsylvania, uh, Stephen Jackson kind of makes me think he'd be a Herschel Walker. Okay. And for that reason, I'm going Stephen Jackson. You're going Stephen Jackson. I wow. Am, I am. Oh. I think he would be, I think he would be a, a, a good, uh, gruff, uh, out there, uh, kind of, you know, uh, scrappy uh, Republican candidate, I would think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think Marshall Folk would be? Just a very, uh, like conservative, like conservative liberal, like conservative in nature, mm-hmm. not necessarily values. Yeah, boring. But yeah, uh, very like, straight yeah. lace. Yeah, 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 very boring. No, <laughs> no sound bites at all. No um, disrespect on the on the game, but uh, political game he has not. No. Man, I you know, <laughs> I want to go Marshall Folk, but I don't want to argue with you this early on, so I'll just concede. And I'll, you're the bigger ranch fan. I'll give you Stephen Jackson. <laughs> can we can we just take a side note? And for sure, Herschel Walker was running in an election. He was, and that's he... fucking that's crazy. crazy. Doctor um, oh, Do- Oz was too, man. You know what? I'm, and I'm conflating the two. So they they both ran, but they did not run against each other. They ran uh, in different states. Herschel Walker ran against uh, uh, Ralph Warnock, and Ralph Warnock beat Herschel Walker in a runoff election. So that that one was so close at the end of election day in the midterms that they had to have a runoff election. But it was Ralph Warnock he ran against. Herschel okay. Walker had some MMA fights, too. That guy apparently can do he, it all, he's, man. He's, a, Dude, he's one of the greatest running backs of all time. He's of also all time. He's a freak uh, athlete. He's also been hit in the head a lot. Oh, I can imagine. He's probably hit a lot of people in the head, too. Yeah, it was probably, yeah it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> uh, brutal. Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, Kurt Warner versus Cooper Cup. See, and these were the two I wanted for my finalists. Um, First round, baby. It's a tough one. Um, they're both super likable. They're very likable people, and they're both very um, they're very respectful, very diplomatic, no drama. Um, they're both fan- they they would have been my finalists. They would have been my favorite. Now, uh, Cooper Cup is my favorite Ram ever. I'd name my dog after the dude. <laughs> 
but I, I think I am going to go with uh, Kurt Warner. Kurt, 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 yeah. Kurt. His story's just more amazing. It's, it's just an amazing. incredible story, yeah. Did you watch American Underdog? I did. When it came out? It is phenomenal. Is Highly it really? recommend it, yeah. Yeah, I should Great watch movie. it, yeah. yeah. You know the story of Kurt Warner, Dave? He was a bag boy. He's a bag boy, yep. Then he started to play for the Cardinals. Later, played for them. Did good. Yeah, yeah, that's played, enough. Played, that's... played with my boy, Larry. They, there you go. There you go. I know things about Dave football. <laughs> All right, got Kurt Warner. He played with the Cardinals later. I, I don't know if he started. He's, I, he played with the Rams, and then he, he ended his career with the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that... I trust your opinion. I don't know jack shit besides <laughs> at some point in his career, he played for the Cardinals with Larry. And very sure. well, yeah. yeah well, because right. I think uh, the... Was it the most amazing show on turf? Is that what the Rams were called in the greatest show on turf? Greatest show on turf. Um, that he was their quarterback. So yeah. So then, yeah. and he played in, in and that. And later. I think he took the Cardinals to a Super Bowl also. Yeah. 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 Against yep. the Steelers, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I was gonna say one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. That's the fucking thing everybody says about Kurt Warner. You know, he started out as a bag boy, yeah. and yeah. he's a great, uh, great analyst now too. He, oh wow. He's an analyst on TV and does a lot of the NFL games, and yeah, he's he's awesome. Tell you what, he's certainly not better than Tony Romo. Uh, Tony Romo will tell you what's happening before it happens. Uh, True. True. <laughs> but he's also a giant prick. Uh, moving on. Um, Night Train Lane versus Aaron Donald. The battle of the defense. <laughs> oh, man. I got a strong opinion about this one, if you can't tell. <laughs> uh, I'm... I'm going to go with Night Train. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. Yes, you No explanation are. needed. I'm going with Night Train. <laughs> you know what he's going to do if he doesn't win. <laughs> there was a uh, a president in history that uh, they said, like, kind of would very, was very tall and would loom over people. To I think try it's to Andrew attend. Jackson. Andrew Johnson. Jackson. It was Johnson. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, Andrew it's, Johnson. It was President Johnson, Lyndon yeah, B. Johnson. Yeah, the guy Lyndon after Johnson, yeah. JFK? It was Lyndon B. Johnson, and he uh, he would um, bring interns into the office, and he would shit with the door open, talking to them. He would uh, tread on people's shoes, so he, he was really tall. He would stand on people's shoes and lean over them and yell so that they couldn't move away from him, back away yeah. from him. He, um, that seems like night train tactics. Right he there, would... Right? Uh, oh, he yeah. would uh, I'm very opinionated about Lyndon B. Johnson because he was a shitty human, right? Yeah. He cheated on his wife a whole bunch. He he was the one rumored to have a panic button in the uh, Oval Office in his desk. Uh, He would hit this button or he would have people outside hit the button and it would flash red if his wife was coming so he could get whatever woman he had out. (laughs) Uh, But he passed some of the the most uh, progressive legislation as far as uh like civil rights civil right? rights and all yeah that but stuff. like wasn't jfk already like in the midst of like putting those in before he got i think it was mainly because he was who he was, signed like, it the... chan who signed it <laughs> he was a uh... that's jfk i'm pretty uh <laughs> i'm, I'm pretty convinced that John... because johnson was like the king of the senate right like he he had been a congressperson he had been in the senate he had uh he knew how the game was played and how the sausage was made, so to speak, and he knew what buttons to push, what levers to pull. He was a very effective president, and what, why he didn't run again, right, was because he couldn't end Vietnam, and uh, it, uh, it it haunted him. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm one of those nerds. I've listened to many audiobooks about about uh, presidents. There's a really interesting one. I think it's called The Five Presidents, and it's a retired Secret Service agent, and he served for five. He started with Eisenhower. 
uh, and went all the way through, uh, well, those those five presidents, right? And Lyndon B. Johnson was one that he spent quite a bit of time with, and he had he he gave so many cool personal stories. Highly recommend that book. Okay, uh, it's a g- great audiobook for driving around. I listened to it while I was driving to the Oregon coast last summer and back, uh, and a really fascinating insight into President Eisenhower, uh, President Kennedy, Johnson. Um, is FDR in that, or is that before Eisenhower? That was way before. Before, yeah, yeah. 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 Chan, um, I'm a history minor. I should know. Uh, my, the only thing that I'm curious, and we'll get back to the tournament rules. I thought Lyndon B. Johnson was like low key or high key pretty racist. Is that not true? Uh, so yeah, he he did a lot for civil rights, but he also uh, I. I, I can't tell you any particular instances, but I've also heard he was pretty racist. As yeah, well. that's what I've heard. But yeah. like, I heard that it was JFK that was like trying to push those shit through, and then he died, and then Lenny B. Johnson was like, "Well, I might as well look like a great guy out here now." So yeah, and I and I can't tell you exactly what that turnover looked like, but I know that that Johnson did a lot of work with that stuff, and he knew how to work through the Senate uh, or through right. Congress in general. Right. Done, yeah. Okay, here we go. Jerome Bettis versus Tory Holt. Tory Holt. <laughs> really, you're gonna take Tory Holt? Why wouldn't you? Because Jerome Bettis is the nicest, funniest man on the face of the planet. Well, People that. are going to vote for him. But he fucking left to be a stealer, so fuck that. Oh, man. my. You just said he was the greatest brand. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm two beers in, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Opening a third. I guess I'm staying a little after this. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll concede. I'll concede to that. I might, I might challenge you on these next couple if we come to crossroads, but here we go. Uh... What's it called? Semi semifinals. Steven Jackson versus Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. Really, you're not taking the the hard hitting uh, Republican no, in this one. It was a it was a good uh, pipe dream, but uh, he had to get up in front of a a crowd of people and talk about healthcare policy. And well, <laughs> he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So Kurt Warner just said that everyone could go to the hospital for free. <laughs> so he kind of wins that one. Yeah, That's what yeah, people yeah. want. That's yeah, what people want. Yeah, um, he's a people pleaser. Night Train Lane versus Tory Holt. Night Train Lane. Night Train Lane. <laughs> Night Train Lane. <laughs> Which leaves us with oh, our finals, Tanner. Don't make me do it. Night Train Lane versus <laughs> Kurt Warner. That's a, that's a good matchup because it's arguably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet versus the guy who will absolutely clothesline you if he loses a million times over and probably kill you. <laughs> I'm going um, Kurt Warner. <laughs> Kurt Warner is just a, as far as like, can you look up how big Night Train Lane is? <laughs> <laughs> as far as, you know, like who the best Ram has been and stuff like that, obviously different bracket, but when we're looking at who could be a statesman and who would actually like hack it in politics, it's got to be Kurt Warner or Cooper Cup. Yeah. Like that that would have yeah, been my ideal that. final. You know, I think Cooper Cup is uh, also also would be pretty good at that kind of stuff but but i could see kurt warner doing i could see well. aaron donald doing it too though aaron, aaron donald's a really smart dude and like very smart dude yeah yeah uh kurt warner is um he's a family man and has a lot of the the kind of like morals in place and the things that go well with the political game uh and he has a really cool story right like a rags to riches kind of story uh and so he just has like all the right elements in his background and the dude never quits right like ever He's a badass. I love that guy. <laughs> Night Train Lane is six foot one and one hundred and ninety four pounds. Kurt Warner. 
Yeah, I'll agree with you, Kurt Warner. <laughs> if he was a bigger dude, if he was a bigger Surprising, dude. Surprisingly, I thought he was going to be way bigger. I thought he was going to be like 6'4". People, I was people, picturing yeah. a, an Aaron Donald kind of. People yeah. say he's all, in the thing it even says he's all arms and legs, so he looks much bigger than uh, he actually is. He played corner, so that does make sense. He was yeah. on the outside, but I thought he was going to be like a Richard Sherman looking gotcha. motherfucker. Like now, super that big. dude could be a statesman. If he, Absolutely. If, if his temper didn't get the best of him. I wanted to do at one of my soundboards. I made the soundboard this week, and I wanted one of those soundboards to be, when you put me on a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's what happens. <laughs> uh, I, you know, as a Rams fan, I hate that guy, but he is a smart fucking dude. <laughs> like, he is a smart man. Yeah, I, uh, I argue he's one of the top ten corners of all time. Man. And he negotiates his own contracts. He's his own Oh, wow. wow. He's his own agent. Like, the dude is brilliant. He's well, an he, asshole, but he's brilliant. Asshole, but real rags to riches too. Because you got to look at where he's from, right? Because like he's from Compton, but like he, his family was the people like who around town who were like, "Don't let my fucking son join these gangs out here." And like Richard had like a four point three in high school and went to Stanford on a full ride, and right, like yeah. so that dude like worked for everything that he has. Yeah, and he's a yeah great player. Uh, but you, I just hate you him just don't like him. <laughs> and then the Niners, so I really hate him. <laughs> and he is he is pretty arrogant on the field. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Uh, Tanner, you got anything else uh, you want to send all the people off with here? Uh, anything else on your mind, on your heart? You want people to follow you on uh, socials so that you can... I... No. Nope. Don't. Don't. Don't follow me. Don't look me up. Even if you did, you'd never find him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the reason Tanner's here is because we have a show coming up. So go ahead and uh, come out to the Book of Will at Idaho State University Theater happening April 14th, 15th, 20th, 21st, 21st and 22nd. Somewhere around there. It definitely opens on the 14th of April. That's my birthday, and that's what's most important. So uh, thank you, Tanner, for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. I, I uh, had a lot of fun. Doing my first podcast. <laughs> Even though yeah, you brother. don't know anything, like you said before, now you know a little bit. Hey, oh boy, that was yeah. interesting. You absolutely were. All right, man. Uh, love you guys both, and we'll see you guys later. Keep burning. Dude, I want that old time love that. Give me a ring like all your showtime love that. Take you back to our home type love where I can go put on a movie and just hold my love.